Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. To stay or not to say, that is the question. And it is our current sermon series. It's, it's about developing the gift of faithfulness in our lives, the stick to that we talked about last week, right? Having peace in the middle of a storm, being found standing after a battle, faith still intact, ready to take on the next one, stronger than ever. It's about being a disciple of Jesus that sticks around and helps get the job done, even after you've become healthy yourself, right? Giving back into our world. It's, it's about not giving up before you reach that level of maturity in your faith where you can reproduce it in others. This is what we need this year as a church. We need more priests, more pastors, in our communities, ready to get the job done. The Bible says we are a kingdom of priests, yet most of us, we don't take that responsibility seriously unless there's a job title and a salary attached. But each and every one of us are pastors to our world. We're sent out and commissioned, right? Go into our world and preach the gospel and love people. We all have to be pastors to our world and really see ourselves that way. And so to go further in this, we're going to read this interesting, obscure little passage in 1 Kings 13, which I'm calling the Tale of Two Prophets, okay? The Tale of Two Prophets. Neither of these prophets have names, so it's just the Tale of Two Prophets. So go ahead to, to 1 Kings 13, uh, just to give you a little bit of background while you find it. 1 Kings is a book all about the kings of Israel, Okay. So it follows the kings through this period in Israelite history. And we've already been through the King David phase and and the King Saul and the King Solomon phase. And and here we are at Jeroboam. Now, David and Solomon weren't the perfect kings, right? They, They had their flaws. David's aside, he was a faithful man and he followed God. Solomon built a temple for God. Beautiful, big, but he also built a few other temples. (laughs) He started um, leading the the nation of Israel astray a little bit by being led astray himself. He, He married lots of wives. God warned him against it. And then he started building temples for them and their religions and encouraging people to go and worship those idols in his country. And so because of that, God ripped the kingdom away from him actually left one tribe for a descendant of David out of respect for David, but gave the rest away. And he called Jeroboam into service, and and he got to lead the larger country, but there was still that other little one where the temple was, okay? And so Jeroboam was a king that was jealous. He didn't like people going to that other nation to worship God, the true God, in the temple that Solomon had built. He wanted people staying in his own nation, Okay, He wasn't secure enough in his authority and power in the place that God had put him to trust that God would provide for that situation. So he put calves, and I mean literal statues of golden calves, in the country. Two of them, one on either side, because that worked out so well for Israel before in their history. So he erected these statues, said, everybody come and worship here, you don't have to go over there to worship the God. Come here and worship a God. That's good enough. And so they did. 
And this is where we pick up this story. Jeroboam is, is the king that did all of this. And verse 1 says, At the Lord's command, a man of God from Judah. Now this is prophet number 1. We do not know his name. He's just a man of God from Judah. He went to Bethel. Arriving there just as Jeroboam was approaching the altar, the calf altar, to burn incense. Then at the Lord's command, he shouted, Oh, altar, altar, speaking to the altar. This is what the Lord says. A child named Josiah will be born into the dynasty of David. On you, altar, he will sacrifice the priests from the pagan shrines who come here to burn incense, and human bones will be burned on you. It's a little creepy, but no one said the Bible was exactly G-rated all the time. That same day, the, Bible, the man of God gave a sign to prove his message. He said, the Lord has promised to give this sign. The altar will be split apart, and its ashes will be poured out on the ground. When King Jeroboam heard the man of God speaking against the altar at Bethel, he pointed at him and shouted, seize that man. But instantly, the king's hand became paralyzed in that position, and he couldn't pull it back. At the same time, a wide crack appeared in the altar, and the ashes poured out, just as the man of God had predicted in his message from the Lord. The king cried out to the man of God, Please ask the Lord your God to restore my hand again. So the man of God prayed to the Lord, and the king's hand was restored, and he could move it again. Now, we're going to keep reading, but I'm going to stop there for just a minute. There is more to this story. It feels like it could end here, right? But it doesn't. <laughs> um, and what I want you to notice out of this portion of the story is that this prophet, it had to have taken guts to get to where he is right at this point in the story. I mean, think of a, a presidential speech or something. There's the whole country is watching, and there's guys with guns, and there's the, the president, right? This is the environment that this man of God showed up in. The, the nation is watching. There's guys with swords protecting the king, and the king is here to give his sacrifice on this altar of a false god. Okay, and this little old man of God, like, who am I to be speaking against a king, right? He shows up. He says what God told him to say. He is in obedience to God, and God is his defender in this case. Literally, God... It's almost like God said to Jeroboam, you aren't even in charge of your own body. So I'm going to freeze it here in this position, much less the country. How dare you, right, go and think you're in charge and you get to say what happens to my people. You're not even in, in charge of your own body. And so Jeroboam realizes this and he calls back out to the, the prophet, the man of God, who he just literally threatened his life, right? Now suddenly he wants his help. When you're in obedience, God is your defender. When you're in obedience, God is your defender. Now, I want you to notice that here because here the man of God is in obedience. But the story goes on, okay? Most of us lose our way here too. We might want the big show, the big grand gesture. We might be able, when all eyes are watching us, we might be able to be in obedience. But it's actually the little moments, as we'll see in a minute. It's the, the private moments that end up undermining our faith and our walk with God. It's, most of us don't actually believe the words written in this book. 
say we do. We say we're a Christian. We say we show up at, and at church and we are in agreement with everything preached, but we don't actually believe tithing is one of these areas. For me, when I realized that tithing was about my trust in God, not actually about the money at all, it wasn't about the dollars and cents. It was about, do I actually believe the words written in this book? Because if I do, then I believe Malachi 3.10, which says, bring the whole tithe, test me in this, and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing you won't have room enough for it all. If I actually believed that, I would bring the whole tithe gladly. Right? I'd bring whatever he told me to bring. I'd bring 20%, 50%. It doesn't matter because if I actually believe what is in this book, actually believe it, God's going to provide. So why? it doesn't matter. We get people sometimes that question, you know, what, what is tithing actually? Do I tithe on the net or do I tithe on the gross or do I round up? Do I tithe to the cent? What, when is God going to cut me off essentially? And don't get me wrong, some people are actually genuinely wondering how do I best be obedient to God, but sometimes it's just haggling. <laughs> we just want to know how far can we get, how close to the line can we get without God smiting me? How, how can I just slide under the line? <laughs> it's not about the dollars and cents. It's about do you actually believe that God is who he says he is and he's going to do what he says he's going to do? Do you actually believe? Because then it becomes easy. I, I honestly believe that God is who he says he is. And so, of course, he's going to heal me because he's the healer. Of course, he's going to provide for me. He is the provider. He's done it so many different ways to so many different people throughout history. Of course, he's going to do it for me. Of course, he is. It's who he is. Relationships, we do this too. We haven't done a relationship series this February, as usual, as a lot of other churches are doing. So let me just give you a little Valentine's Day tip, okay? This is your Valentine's Day <clears throat> relationship moment. Does God really provide for all my needs? Is that what his word says? And do I actually believe it? Because if he does, I don't need to rely on my husband to fulfill my needs for me. I look at God, right? I don't need to, to him to complete me or him to fill my love quota for the day. That's not on him. That pressure is off of him, actually, and it's on God because God provides for all of my needs. He fills up my love quota for the day, and I can overflow that onto my husband. Does God provide for all my needs? Do I actually really believe that? Or do I put that on the people around me? If we actually believe this book, if we're actually in obedience to it, God is our defender. <clears throat> we don't need other people. We don't need things to complete us, people to complete us. We have the God of heaven and earth that loves us with a perfect love, all-encompassing love, better than anything else anyway. <laughs> Can we stay true to that? Can we walk in obedience and allow him to defend us? See, most of us, we forget so easily. Humans are the most forgetful creatures. We just, 
it's in one ear and out the other. We talked about this last week, but the second we walk out those doors on a Sunday afternoon, we're already forgetting who we are in Christ. We are powerhouses for him that with the Holy Spirit in us, we are so much more powerful than we know. We, we can walk in authority, boldness, and wisdom, and we forget. So here are some pro tips. You know what pro tips are? Like life hacks, pro tips? Yeah. Pro tips for staying, staying true to what God has called you to, staying in obedience, okay? Number one, develop systems of reminding yourself of his word. Develop systems. These are spiritual disciplines. God has already developed some of these systems for you to implement in your life. And I'm just going to point out a few of them. There are actually many. The 40 IMs. Do y'all know what these are? 40 IMs are 40 statements in the word, and there are many more. These are just a few of them. Declaring who you are in Christ. Okay? I am a child of God, Romans 8.16 says. I am redeemed from the hand of the enemy, Psalms 107. I am forgiven, Colossians 1. I am saved by grace through faith. I am justified. I am sanctified. I am a new creature. I am a partaker in his divine nature. That's who I am because this book is true, because it comes from him, and it is his word. That's who I am. These statements just help you remember who you are. Declare out loud in your life, over yourself, and walk in it. These, by the way, are available at the serve desk. Please go pick one up. (laughs) Declare it over your life. They're also on your sermon notes in your app. You can save it to your phone. Declare them over yourself. Another system for reminding yourself is daily Bible study. Daily being in the Word, and there are a million systems for that. There's plans on your Bible app. There's one-year Bibles. There's soap studies and character studies and commentaries and all kinds of things you can do to dive into these 66 books, to listen to what God is saying to you today because of something he said to someone thousands of years ago. It's amazing how this book is alive and active in your life. And it's so easy to read. We've never had it easier. Pick it up, read it, get yourself into it. It doesn't matter how, but daily. Because we forget daily. Forget minute to minute. I heard a pastor once say that he gets up in the morning and he doesn't check his phone, he doesn't do anything but sit at his study area. And he doesn't leave there until he feels like he got something from God. He reads, and he prays, and he journals, and whatever, but he, sometimes it takes five minutes, sometimes it takes 50 minutes, sometimes it takes two hours, right? And he sits, and he waits upon the Lord. He's quiet in his presence, or he's talking in his presence, or he's reading, he's studying. He's actually believing what the Word of God says, applying it to his life. So daily Bible study. Number three, weekly corporate worship. What you all are doing here today, weekly corporate worship. God set up a system of once a week, once every seven days, getting around other people who believe the same things you believe, encouraging each other and worshiping 
in his presence. Worship isn't just about the songs that we sing, the pretty lights and the guitars, okay? Worship is declaring who God is, who he is, his character, his personhood, the way he behaves. What do you know about God? I used to test the kids with this. What, what do you know about God? God is love. God is perfect. God is holy. God is the creator of heaven and earth. God knows the name of every star in the sky and the amount of hairs on every single one of our heads. He created the earth and everything in it. That's who he is. He is the provider. He is the deliverer. He is the comforter. When you declare these things out loud, you're not reminding God who he is. He doesn't need to know. He's not insecure. Right? He's not trying to get you to tell him to boost his own ego. That's not who he is. He doesn't need to know. In fact, when Moses said, who are you, God? What, what's the name I can give to them so they believe me? God said, I am. I am who I am. I don't need to give you a name because I am. I am the God that is the God you need in whatever season you are in. I am the provider. Jehovah Jireh, I'm the deliverer, I'm the comforter. That's who I am. What do you need in this season? That's who God is. <clears throat> Worship is reminding ourselves who he is. Because if God is the comforter, of course when I'm going through something tough, he's going to comfort me. That's who he is. When I need something, God is the provider. When I need escape, he is the deliverer. That's who he is. This is why worship is important, building these systems into our lives to remind ourselves of his word, what he has said, and who he is. Number four, gratitude. Developing systems for gratitude, not just saying thank you once and moving on. Developing systems in your life to be grateful, to remember the things that God has done in the past. If, if Israel had remembered that building a golden calf hadn't worked out so well for them in the past, maybe they wouldn't have gone here with the king, right? Remind yourself, God delivered us from so much in the past. Of course he's going to do it again. We're grateful to our God. Gratitude. I, I, somebody told me last night about a, an app called Mobile Knee, K-N-E-E. -E. It's an app that keeps track of your prayer requests. It was really cool. She lists her prayer requests in the app, and then she can mark them answered when they've been answered and look back over all the things that God has answered in her life. It doesn't have to be an app. Write a journal, a gratitude journal. I heard a pastor once say he's on a mission to get 1,000 things in a book that he's thankful for. He wants to pass that on to his kids, which is cool. Be thankful and grateful to God and build that system into your life. You will stay through the tough times if you do those four things. And there's many more, but we're going to move on. Number two pro tip for staying. Don't let your guard down. So many of us, as we walk throughout Christianity and moving towards God, we let our guards down. We think, that's it, I'm good. I've arrived at the level that I want to be with God, and, and I don't really need the daily Bible study anymore. I've got this on my own. But even Paul the Apostle, greatest apostle of all time, he said, I don't even understand my own selfish desires, right? He said, I do things I don't want to do all the time, and I don't do things I know I should do. I, I can't figure myself out because it, it's flesh. We're human. 
doesn't always make sense. I strive toward the goal, but I don't always get there. If he struggled, of course we're going to struggle. Seasons of testing come. Who are you when things get tough? Because things get tough here for the prophet in a minute. And he doesn't remember who he is. I've been thinking lately about the disciples when they go out into the boat, into the storm, right before Peter walks on water. And we studied the passage right before that one in our Wednesday night women's ministry lately. And the disciples were out. They were being sent out by Jesus into the thick of ministry alone. They, they were going on these ministry tours and coming back, and Jesus had crowds of people, and he was feeding them, and he was healing them, and he was teaching them. I mean, it was intense ministry season. And so Jesus, even though there's more work to be done, and the people don't want him to leave, he says, okay, we need rest. It's time. And he actually pulls his disciples away, and he puts them on a boat, and he sends them out and says, I'm going to meet you on the other side. And he goes up a mountain. And I've often wondered whether Jesus from that mountain, that vantage point, could see the disciples in the boat <laughs> out in the sea or not. But a storm comes. And when they're exhausted, probably hungry, when they, uh, uh, it, let me tell you what, ministry exhaustion is not the same as regular exhaustion. It's emotional and mental exhaustion as well as physical usually. And so they're depleted. They're done. They're in this boat, and they're scared because now there's wind and waves, and they're going to die, right? So they're scared. They're without their master. Jesus isn't there. They're exhausted. And Jesus comes walking along like he's going to walk right past them. Have you read this passage lately? He's literally walking on the water to get to the other side right past them. They have to call out to him. They're scared. He's a ghost. In their fear and their exhaustion, they let the the cares of this world override sense that the guy that's walking past them right now is the God of heaven and earth, that he just fed 5,000 people with two fish and two loaves. I think he's got a little wind and waves, but no, it overrides. They can't see past the here and the now, the exhaustion, the fear, and they panic. And finally, Jesus says, you have little faith. Where is your faith? You've walked with me through how many things? We've healed people together. You've laid your hands on the sick and they were healed. How can you be afraid of wind and waves? You are in authority. He has to remind them who they are because of him. We get like this too. We let our guards down. We get exhausted. We allow the, the needs of the flesh to override who we know we are in him. And I think about that a lot when I, when I am in a season where I feel like God is silent. Have you ever been in one of those? Where you're pursuing him to the best of your ability. You think you're following him, but suddenly he stops speaking for a minute and you panic. I'm not hearing anything in my Bible study anymore. Or I'm not feeling his presence anymore like I was. Or new Christians particularly, you know, you come into a worship service and you're just crying those first few weeks. We get that a lot. And feeling the Holy Spirit, but suddenly it doesn't happen anymore. And you wonder, well, maybe it wasn't real. Maybe it was just emotion. Maybe it was, you start to doubt everything. Maybe God just sent you out on a boat for a minute. Maybe you're alone in a, in a season of testing for a minute. You just got to make it to the other side. Develop the power to, to stay. Even when you feel alone. 
even when things are a little scary, even through a storm, God will do something in your life and you have to remember it later because seasons of testing will come. And this is key because it seems as though this prophet, even though God had just done something miraculous and freezing that king's hand and, and then he unfroze it and the, the crack in the altar thing happened, like God had just proved himself. And yet, we're going to keep reading, the prophet seems to forget. Verse 7. Then the king said to the man of God, come to the palace with me and have something to eat and I will give you a gift. This is the guy who just threatened his life, by the way. But the man of God said to the king, even if you gave me half of everything you own, I would not go with you. I mean, he's got staying power in this moment. I would not eat or drink anything in this place for the Lord gave me this command. He must not eat or drink anything while you are there and do not return to Judah by the same way you came. So he left Bethel and went home another way. As it happened, there was an old prophet. This is the second prophet in the tale of two prophets. Living in Bethel, and his sons came home and told him what the man of God had done in Bethel that day. They also told their father what the man had said to the king. The old prophet asked them, which way did he go? So they showed their father which road the man had taken. Quick, saddle the donkey, the old man said. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he mounted it. Then he rode after the man of God and found him sitting under a great tree. The old prophet asked them, are you the man of God who came from Judah? Yes, I am, he replied. Then he said to the man of God, come home with me and eat some food. And again, he says, no, I cannot, he replied. I am not allowed to eat or drink anything here in this place. For the Lord gave me this command. You must not eat or drink anything while you are there and do not return to Judah by the same way you came. Twice, he repeated God's words back. But the old prophet answered, I am a prophet too, just as you are. And an angel gave me this command from the Lord. Bring him home with you so he can have something to eat and drink. But the old man was lying to him. So they went back together, and the man of God ate and drank at the prophet's home. Then while they were sitting at the table, a command from the Lord came to the old prophet, the guy who had just lied, FYI. He cried out to the man of God from Judah, this is what the Lord says. You have defied the word of the Lord and have disobeyed the command the Lord your God gave you. You came back to this place and ate and drank where he told you not to eat and drink. Because of this, your body will not be buried in the grave of your ancestors. After this, the man of God had finished eating and drinking. Apparently, they just kept eating after that word. <laughs> the old prophet saddled his own donkey for him, and the man of God started off again. But as he was traveling along, a lion came out and killed him. His body lay there on the road with the donkey and the lion standing beside it. People who passed by saw the body lying in the road and the lion standing beside it, and they went and reported it in Bethel, where the old prophet lived. Again, you would think this is the end to the story, but we're not quite done here. I'm going to keep reading, but I want you to notice that doubting God's word can be dangerous. Can be dangerous. In the big moment that where all eyes were on him, that prophet stuck to his word, stuck to God's word. But in a moment where he's alone, under a tree, maybe he was tired, tired of traveling, tired of being alone, tired of everyone being out to get him. <laughs> he was having a pity party for himself under that tree. 
God, why didn't I get to sleep on those silk sheets? I bet those silk sheets in that king's house were really nice. Better than this old tree. I bet he had really good food, too. Mm -hmm, but I'm not allowed to eat any of it. I'm being obedient, but I don't want to be. <laughs> Maybe his heart wasn't actually in it. It wasn't actually being obedient to God. He was just going through the motions. I don't know. Maybe he was just hungry. <laughs> or maybe he hadn't fasted enough in his life and didn't know how to handle being obedient through hunger. Do you know that's what fasting is all about? Developing self-discipline in your life. One of the last times I fasted, it all clicked for me. Like suddenly I could see that I am not my body, right? I am a spiritual, eternal being that God created that's going to live after this body dies. And so there's a disconnect, right? I can control my body. I can actually tell it what it needs and what it wants. And I am in control. That's what fasting is all about, developing a self-discipline, clarity. You can see the difference between you and the needs of your flesh. And it becomes much easier after you've learned that lesson, to control your flesh. To tell it what God wants it to do, not what it wants to do. That you are in charge, not it. And maybe this, this prophet hadn't done that enough. Maybe his flesh's needs were screaming too loudly. He hadn't controlled, he hadn't trained himself to control and to be faithful in that season. We don't actually know. We don't know what he was thinking under that tree, but definitely wasn't being faithful. Not that third time he was asked. Maybe time one, time two. But once he said it was God, he lied to him and said it was God. That was it for him. Okay, I'll go home with you <laughs> immediately. He hadn't built faith in his life. You know, the Bible says to build faith. And I think it chooses that word very carefully because God is intentional. That's what he does. Build Faith. faith comes by hearing and hearing the good news about Christ. We learn how to have faith brick by brick. And the, the Bible actually says some people, we, we build our faith with straw and we get it really high and really tall. But the second the wind comes, blows it right over and obliterates the house that we built. If we build by the word of God, good foundations, good materials, nothing can blow that house down. Nothing. Big bad wolf comes and he doesn't knock it down, right, Jay? Faith is a powerful force. It's by faith we please God. By faith we walk on water. By faith we heal. By faith we receive our salvation. We can't do all of that on our own all of the time. Maybe for like an hour we can do it on our own, right? We can't do it on our own past that. Again, we walk out the doors and we forget. We're forgetful beings. Interestingly, one of Jesus' last words to his disciples was not go, but wait. Wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come into your life so that you can go and accomplish the mission and calling that I've given you in this world. You can't do it alone. You need the Holy Spirit in your life to accomplish the job that God has given us to do. Stop relying on your own flesh. It fails you constantly. 
Rely on his strength instead. Build the staying power because doubting God's word in your life can be dangerous. Let's keep reading because there is an ending to this story. And it's not the ending I prefer, by the way. I'll explain in a minute. I was a little sassy with God about this one. Verse 26. When the prophet heard the report, he said, It is the man of God who disobeyed the Lord's command. It's rich coming from him. The Lord has fulfilled his word by causing the lion to attack and kill him. Then the prophet said to his son, saddle a donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey again, and he went out and found the body lying in the road. The donkey and lion were still standing there beside it. So you kind of know this is a different situation. For the lion had not eaten the body nor attacked the donkey. So the prophet laid the body of the man of God on the donkey and took it back to the town to mourn over him and bury him. He laid the body in his own grave, crying out in grief, Oh, my brother. Afterward, the prophet said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the message the Lord told him to proclaim against the altar in Bethel and against the pagan shrines in the towns of Samaria will certainly come true. But even after this, Jeroboam, this king, remember, he did not turn from his evil ways. He continued to choose priests from the common people. He appointed anyone who wanted to become a priest for the pagan shrines. This became a great sin and resulted in the utter destruction of Jeroboam's dynasty from the face of the earth. Anybody else notice anything missing here? The young prophet who believed a lie got his punishment. I mean, a lion, y'all. Like, that's a punishment. (laughs) The evil king got his punishment. I mean, utter destruction and wiping of, off the face of the earth sounds pretty bad. Isaiah got froze. But the guy who lied, do we know what happened to him? Anybody hear that? I have a prob- I had a problem with this. I was a little annoyed with God. Like, what is going on here, God? The, the deceiver seems to have gotten nothing. What happened to him? Now, because I know God a little bit, I know his word, I know that he, vengeance is his, I know that he probably did get something. Probably. God handled it according to his own providence and and sovereignty, and he, I'm sure he took care of it. I'm sure he took care of it. But why don't I get to know? (laughs) I mean, that's the lesson that I want to learn from this. Why don't I get to know? And and as I'm questioning God about this and researching it, it it suddenly clicked. Once again, I'm asking the wrong question. I feel like I say that a lot. Asking the wrong question. I, I was trying to learn a lesson that I wanted to learn rather than the lesson I needed to learn. Vengeance is the Lord's. It doesn't It's not up to me to get to decide the punishments for other people the way that I think they should be punished all of the time. It's up to him. And see, in life, we tend to play the blame game a lot. Spread the blame around. Well, I only did it because he lied to me. I only did it because I was angry. They made me angry. But what that does is it's putting control of you into other people's hands. God says, no, that doesn't work. I gave you the power of the Holy Spirit 
to be able to control yourself. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are the fruits of the Spirit. You control you. Don't worry about everybody else. Doesn't matter who's lying to you. Doesn't matter who's trying to trip you up. By the way, do you know how many times people tried to trip Jesus up? A lot. Did he allow it? Never. He sought the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. We see him a couple times. Once he, he literally went down in the dirt and he's writing. They're trying to trip him up and he's not. He's writing. Who knows what he's writing? Maybe he's asking the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to say in this situation? Maybe he's diffusing the tension by just being weird. I don't know. He listened to the Holy Spirit, didn't allow other people and their voices to be louder than the Holy Spirit. He listened to his voice. And sometimes it's still and it's soft and it's a whisper. But we listen we're submissive to it. What I want to learn is usually only going to feed my pride and ambition and ego. What I need to learn makes me humble, kind, meek. The Bible says the meek will inherit the earth. It makes me actually loving, not just pretending to love. You know, we don't know this old man's motivations. No idea why he did what he did. We know he did it knowingly. He lied. He chose to go out there and deceive the man. We, we don't know why. Maybe it was he was out of the will of God for a while, and he wanted to, some of that to rub off on him. Maybe God wasn't speaking. He was in like a, a dry spell, quiet season from God, and he wanted to be around someone who had heard God lately. Maybe he was jealous, wished God had sent him on a big, cool mission in front of the nation. Maybe he just wanted to, to see how to get his mojo back. I don't know. Who knows? We do know that he lied. And it wasn't right. But it's not up to us to figure that out. We have to rely on God. You know, as I was struggling through that questioning of him, I read a commentary that said the greatest danger to a real prophet is a false prophet. And I think the reason for that is that profiting is tough. Pastoring is tough. Being a leader is tough. I think my uncle used to say, you stick your head above the crowd and someone's bound to take a whack at it. Right? It's, it's a tough gig. It's, it's lonely. Sitting under that tree, he was probably lonely. It's, the job is never quite done. And people hate you for it. They don't like hearing truth all of the time. They wanted to kill this man of God, in fact. It's not easy, and he didn't get to go home to the king's house and celebrate. And he didn't get to sleep on the silk sheets, and he didn't get to eat the king's food. He had to go home alone by another route where nobody could even congratulate him. Throwing himself a pity party under that tree and along comes a false prophet who tickles his ear a little bit tells him God told him he can come home and he can satisfy the needs of his flesh and immediately he's out the door this story is about staying even through deceit 
It's about staying even through the storm, even through the testing seasons, even through the valley of the shadow of death. Because God is with us. He is our shepherd. And it doesn't matter what's going on in the world. Because we're following him. Our eyes are on him. We can stay through every single season that comes at us. Because I am a child of God. I am redeemed by the blood of the lamb. I am his. And he calls me his. Claims me as his own. Are you the kind of person that stays? Stays true to what God is calling you to do. Stays even when it's hard. You know, this is what I want partnership to be at Freedom Valley. I, I, people that are committed to the mission and calling of the church. What Jesus himself created and called us to. People that are willing to stay. Develop themselves into mature believers that develop mature believers. People that are willing to go out as workers into God's harvest field. People that see their nine to five job as just the way that they finance the real job and work to be done. People that are looking for people to pastor in their lives. It doesn't mean you have to plan sermons and it doesn't mean you have to be a theologian. It doesn't mean you have to know everything there is to know about the Bible. To witness just means to tell somebody what you've seen and heard from God. Tell them about your experience. And to disciple just means to bring somebody along with you in that journey. To say, come, learn with me. Let's do this together. God is good and I want you to experience that too. In the last service as we worshiped at the end, God spoke to me and said, pull people off the bench too many of us on the team but we're still sitting on the bench he says pull them in there are partners who've been partners here for years maybe you've been attending here for years but you're not in the game get in the game come off the bench and put me in coach and today I want to challenge you will you learn what it means to be a reproducer of your faith Will you partner with us in ministry and become a worker in God's harvest field? And will you stick around and stay, even when it gets tough, putting his word above all else? Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I-N-N. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Home Groups, where we apply the message we heard this weekend at Freedom Valley Church. This weekend, we're in week two of stay or not to stay. Candace preached an interesting story about mm. two individuals, the old prophet and the young prophet, and the, the story that God gave the young prophet a specific word he was to follow, and the old prophet led him astray a little bit, and that cost him his life. We want to talk about how important it is 
to stick to the last word that God has told you. Yeah, doubting God's word in your life can be dangerous. For the young prophet, it was literally dangerous. It cost him his life. And for so many of us, it does. Mm-hmm. costs us something. We we get this, this word of, from God, this picture of who he is in a worship service or in our prayer time or from the word. And two seconds later, we're already doubting that it was real or that God actually said it or would God actually say that? Because I really want to do this my way, right? We completely doubt it and it can be so dangerous for us. Those kind of doubts, they seek in, you know? You know, we were like in clay vessels, we leak, Mm -hmm. the Bible says, but we need to remind ourselves daily of the word that God has spoken to us. And then we need to set up boundaries in our lives so that others can't steal that word for uh, from us and place in their own. Uh, human leaders are filled with our own advice, our own issues, our own slants, but only God's word is perfect. So what has he said to you? And if he hasn't said anything that you can identify, how do you find God's word for you? Just like in the story when a a pastor or a spiritually mature friend gives you advice, Mm -hmm. uh, instead of, like in the story, jumping on that and saying, that must be God, then I'm going with that. We should, okay, let me just check with God first. (laughs) Go back to him. Say, what was the last thing God told me? I'm going to be obedient to that. I'll take your advice, but I'm not necessarily going to base my life on it. We have to go back to the word that God spoke to us and let that be the trump card over everything else. So in this to stay or not to stay series, we're identifying that we need to stay with God's word over everything. The Bible says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will be added to us. That means we put what he says above everything else. To find it, we have to pursue him above everything else. We're not looking to make disciples of us. We're looking to encourage disciples of Jesus. So in our groups today, let's talk about the last word God said to us, how we can find a word from God for our lives, Mm -hmm. and the boundaries we can put up in our lives to prevent us following people instead of our Savior. Yeah, should be a great discussion, guys. See you next week.